If you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Psalms, chapter 78. But before you do that, if you'll hit the next slide, I'd like to talk to you about monkeys. Now, this uh, monkey on the screen here is the Colombian woolly monkey. And uh, they exist in the jungles of Colombia, but uh, due to people wanting to uh, encroach in their habitats and uh, bring them in as pets and even hunt them, they are uh, becoming less and less common in the wild. And so the scientists, they thought, we're going to try something. We're going to take some of these monkeys and we're going to try and put them back into the wild and teach them how to live in the wild again, hopefully with the goal of uh, using this to help build up their population. Well, they took these monkeys and they had them in captivity and they were trying to teach them how to live like wild monkeys. And they took them out and uh, they gathered 11 monkeys that were the best and the brightest monkeys. They took these monkeys and of these 11 monkeys, after training them, there were six that just seemed to do really, really well. So they took these six and they put some tracking collars on them and they put them out in the jungle. Well, apparently, it is a little bit difficult for these monkeys. They don't know instinctively how to survive in the wild. And so, two of the monkeys out of the six had to be rescued. Two of the monkeys split off from the rest of the group and just disappeared. Two of the monkeys died. Now, it was pretty clear that this was not a success. Now, why not? Well, man interferes, yes, there's that, but they were taken out of the wild, put into captivity, and they had grown up for several generations of monkeys in captivity. And since they did not know instinctively how to survive in the wild, without the generation before them to teach them and to show them how to survive in the wild, they did not survive. The scientists were not good enough. Now, I'm going to transition now because it's very similar, although much more important for us to understand God's word and the concept of generations. So you can go to the next slide. When the scientists saw that these monkeys were not able to survive on their own in the wild, that helped them know the proper way to teach them how to survive. They needed to teach them further. But are we passing on the knowledge that we have in our current generations about God to the next generation. Well, let's look in the Bible in Psalms chapter 78, verses 4 through 7. And I believe it's your custom to stand um, in respect for God's word. So here at the beginning, I'll just ask you all to stand as we read Psalm 78, verses 4 through 7. I will just do the reading here. And it's up there on the screen also, if you did not bring your Bibles. Psalms chapter 78, verses 4 through 7 says this. It is speaking about the truth of God. We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he hath done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, 
which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. Thank you. You can be seated. The title of my message today is Reaching the Next Generation. When it comes to the followers of God today, and I'm speaking about our Christian communities, are we doing this successfully? Are we successfully reaching the next generation? Are we passing on our knowledge of God to our children and our children's children and their children after them? Now, I'm going to ask four questions this morning. And the first question I want to ask is, why should we reach the next generation? Now, some of this is just logical. If we don't reach the next generation, it's like a broken chain. As soon as one link in a chain breaks, the rest of the chain is worthless. You need a certain degree of continuity. But God, for some reason, also made this a priority in his word. Now, we're going to jump around a little bit. So I would like to just take you through a brief walk through the Bible, and then we're going to end up in the book of Deuteronomy. So if you want to put your thumb in Deuteronomy. But let's just think back to the very beginning when God made the world initially. One of his first commands to the first man and the first woman was he wanted them to multiply and fill the earth. For some reason, God was very concerned that his world be filled with people. I'm not exactly sure why God wants more and more and more people. I think it's just because he loves us so much. <laughs> but even after the man and the woman sinned, and God had to judge the world eventually in one of the greatest uh, judgments that the world has seen, the great flood, God made it a point to save eight people alive. What was the reason? So that the earth could be repopulated by people. For some reason, God was very concerned that the next generations continue to be developed and go on and on and on. Again, why God wants this from us as his people who are <laughs> oftentimes failing him so much, I'm not quite sure. But God seems to be very concerned that people keep continuing on and on. And then we come to the story of Abraham. And Abraham, God selected him specially. And one of the reasons that God says is that he chose Abraham is this. God said, I know that this man, Abraham, will command his children after him. In other words, he is going to take his children and he is going to teach me to his children. And that is why I am picking him specially. Now, of course, Abraham did pass on that truth to his children, his children's children. It might have been lost somewhere in there, but God eventually revisits a man named Moses, and he gathers his people out of Egypt. He gives his people his law with the intention that they would pass it on to their children. And, of course, his people fail him again, and he has to judge them again, 
And this time it's 40 years in the wilderness with the idea that everyone from a previous generation would die so that there would only be a single new generation that would be able to capitalize on God's promises and take his land for themselves. Can you imagine looking around at an entire nation and seeing only three old people? In their case, that was Joshua, Caleb, and Moses. Everyone else of the older generation was gone. They're standing here on the threshold of the promised land, ready to go in, and then God gives them the book of Deuteronomy. If you'll turn to Deuteronomy chapter 4, I'm not going to read all these verses, but I do just want to point out a couple of things here. Deuteronomy chapter 4. Now, God is going to give them a command here. He's basically going to say, here are all the instructions that I gave you, and this is what I want you to do with them. In the first ten verses, he says, uh, let's see, Now, therefore, hearken, O Israel, unto the statutes and the judgments which I teach you, that you may live and go in to possess the land. That's verse 1. Don't add or subtract verse 2. Verse 3, you've personally seen what God has done. Verse 4, you, uh, you decided to choose God, and that's why you are alive today. And then, uh, verse 6, keep therefore and do them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the, in the, sight of the nations. God wanted his people to keep his instructions as a testimony to the entire world. I'm going to revisit this in a minute. But then he says, verse 9, Keep thy soul diligently, lest thou forget the things which thine eyes have seen, and lest they depart from thy heart all the days of thy life. Now listen to what he says. Teach them thy sons and thy sons' sons. Especially the day that thou stoodest before the Lord thy God in Horeb. God wanted his people to learn his commandments very thoroughly. The goal was that they would put them into practice so that the nations around them would see this. But in order for that to work, they had to pass it on. Turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now this is a very famous passage. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 5 says, God gives them a command to love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. He commanded them to put his words into their very heart. And then look at verse 7. Teach them, not casually, not occasionally, teach them diligently to thy children. He wanted them to talk about these words when they were in their house, when they were sitting, when they were walking, when they were lying down, when they were getting up. They wanted God's word to be so common in the household that it was as if it was tied to their wrists. You all have wrist watches? 
Many of you do. I don't know. If you're like me, you just look at your phone. How much do you check that wristwatch every day if you have one? Quite frequently. How much do you check into God's Word every day? God wanted His Word to be impressed upon His people's hearts, and He wanted it to be integrated into their very home with their children. Deuteronomy chapter 11, God basically says the same thing. I'm not going to look at that, but you can if you want to. Deuteronomy chapter 31, again, God says essentially the same thing. You learn my commandments and you teach them diligently to your children. Now, I've seen some fantastic things happen with children. As a part of the missions board that I work for, there was a group, one of our very first missionaries. They're missionaries in Haiti. They went to Haiti, uh, or actually they, they were, they're natives to Haiti, so they lived in Haiti, but they wanted to uh, start a church. And so they were reaching out to adults, but the adults wouldn't come, but they saw lots of hungry, hungry children, and so they opened up their ministry to feeding the hungry children and teaching them faithfully God's Word. This was 30 years ago. Now, at the beginning, maybe you would look at this and you would say, oh, they're only reaching children. This isn't going to be a successful ministry. But they taught them diligently. And as they taught these children, guess what children do? They grow up. And when they grew up, they became Sunday school teachers. Then they started a Bible college and they became pastors and teachers. And today, that's one of our largest ministries, all started from teaching children diligently. One of the most thrilling things I have personally seen is a church in Africa where the pastor comes to me, would you like to come and see a children's church? I said, I've seen lots of children's churches. They're in almost every church in the United States. He said, no, you need to come and see this one special. We're having a prayer meeting tonight. So we come, we drive on these awful roads out into the bush of Africa. We come to a a school building or a a school campus there. And we come in, and there's a group of children waiting for us. They had set up the chairs. They had got there themselves. There was no adult present. We come there. One of the older children gets up. He starts the prayer meeting. And then he calls me to do the speaking. And so I preach, just as I would in any normal church, to a church made only of children. Now, that's been recently, so I don't know what's going to come from this church, but those children are going to grow up. But to see this heart for God, I know that when children are taught diligently, they can serve God. Why should we reach the next generation? Well, it's important for us, just logically, but it's very, very important to God. So then the question is, how young should they be when we try to reach them? Now, there are many denominations, many Christian circles, which actually have told me You are going about this the wrong way in trying to reach children. Children can't understand the gospel. They cannot be saved. Or, it's not the minister's place. It's only a part of the family and the people that God chooses. Some have said, 
uh, you should not teach children the gospel until they're at least 12 years old. It's just too complicated for them to understand. It's not the case. I was saved at the age of seven. I have a brother who was saved at the age of four. My friends, young children can be reached with the gospel. And God even tells us about this in his, in his word. Even back in the Old Testament, we get some hints of this. If you look back at Deuteronomy chapter 4, he just uses the word sons and sons, sons, and the word children. Now, this is a very generic term, which just simply refers to your offspring. It's not necessarily talking about four-year-olds, okay? However, you remember in Deuteronomy chapter 6, he said to incorporate it into your household activities. Sitting, walking, eating. Now, these types of activities are activities that we all do, but when you think about it in the context of the home, I think what God was saying was this. Those children who are young enough to still be under your care, those are the ones that I want to be reached with the gospel. He doesn't set an age limit, either young or old. We can teach the gospel to anyone, no matter how old they are. If you still have your fingers in the book of Deuteronomy, I'd like you to look over at Deuteronomy chapter 31. Let me just find the verse here. Verses 9 through 13. Now here in verse 10... He is basically giving them instructions that at least one day every seven years, the entire nation is going to gather together to hear the word of God. But among this gathering, verse 12, look at what he says. Gather the people together, the men, the women, and the children. Now, although it's the same word in our English Bible, that word children there is actually a very specific word in the Hebrew language. If I were to translate it, I would translate it as the word toddler, a small tripping person, okay? In other words, it's a category distinct from the men and the women. In this, God gave some assurances. At least once every seven years, in other words, potentially twice before a person would turn 12 years old, they would become a part of an assembly of God where they would hear the teaching of God's word. And God wanted the children to be present. And the word here indicates that it didn't matter their age. But then if we even look over into the New Testament, we see Jesus' dealings with the children. I'm not going to have you turn there, but if you want to, you can look at uh, Mark chapter 10 or Luke chapter 18. Luke, he calls the children that Jesus welcomed into his arms and wanted to teach and bless. He called them infants. Very, very small children. God wants even the youngest child to come to him. He does not set age limits. Neither should we. Reaching the next generation can start from the very youngest child. So then there is a question. Did the children of Israel successfully reach the next generation? 
In Deuteronomy, they're standing there at the threshold. They're looking at this promised land. But the next book in the Bible is the book of Judges. Well, after Joshua, I guess. Joshua takes them in successfully, and then in Judges, something happens. In Judges, the Bible says that there came a generation that forgot the works of the Lord. And so in the book of Judges, God gives a picture of a generation who comes and they cry out to God and they decide to follow God's laws and God delivers them and gives them peace. And then the generation after them fails. Now, is it the generation after them that fails? Yes. Could it have also been the generation before them had failed to pass it on? Perhaps. And so they get into this cycle of generation after generation that seeks after God and then fails, and then seeks after God and then fails. They did not successfully reach the next generation. Now, if you could show the next slide, I believe it should be some statistics. The question is, how well are we doing in reaching our generation? Now, I have a book here from uh, George Barna. He does a lot of surveys. Um, about the Christian community, specifically in the United States. And when looking at the uh, generations, he breaks it with, um, he's been surveying the generations. And so the boomer generation, which is basically the aging population in our country right now, of them, 10% of the boomer generation, uh, based on the survey, had a biblical worldview. But do you see those numbers on the screen? Are they going up or down? They're going down. Gen Xers, only 7% of that age group says that they have a biblical worldview. Of the millennials, only 6%. And Gen Z, which is our um, older children, teenagers, and just entering the college and career, that age group, the up-and-coming generation, only 4%. Are we successfully reaching the next generation? I'm going to say no. The numbers don't say that we are. Now, to put it a different way, you can show the next slide. 96% of the up-and-coming generation do not have a biblical worldview. Now, I've seen a lot of people look at the state of our young people these days, and they just shake their head. Oh, our young people. I can't understand them. What are we going to do? As if it's all their fault. (laughs) Well, unfortunately, the generation to come has the generation that came for an example. So the next question I want to ask, and you show the next slide, is how do we reach them? Is there a potential to turn this around? I'm just going to give you a few ideas. You all know the Great Commission, I hope. It's when God, Jesus, before he left um, the earth to go to heaven, he gave his disciples a command. And it's commonly pointed to in the book of Matthew, chapter 28. He says, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. What was the command in the Old Testament to the Israelites? It was to learn the commands of God and to teach them. 
What was the command that Jesus gave to his followers? To know the commands of God and to teach them. Now, I really appreciate Brother Don and uh, the lesson he gave in Sunday school this morning about the different spiritual gifts and how one of them is teachers. You know, God has called certain people specially to be teachers and to have that capacity. But Jesus' command was not just to that group of people. Jesus' command to teach all nations was to every disciple of his. And so whether you have the gift of teaching or not, each person here has a responsibility to be a teacher. Now, it doesn't necessarily just mean teaching children, but he says to go and to teach all nations. In the book of Mark, he said to all creatures. Now, that means that you should, it doesn't necessarily mean that he's called you to teach children, but children are included in all creatures, okay? In order to reach the next generation, we, yes, definitely need to reach the children, but it really includes all ages. I hope you understand that. But it does include the children. But oftentimes we stop at the teaching. We stop, perhaps, at the baptizing. We assume that it's good enough for someone to just be saved. We assume that if our church doors are open and there are saved people in our community, they should just come. And church is enough. Now, at the risk of offending you, I'm going to say church alone is not enough. Now, church is such a priority. But I don't believe it's enough. Do not neglect church, but also... Do not neglect what I'm going to call discipleship. This is relationships. The very final part of Jesus' commands were to teach others to observe, to obey what God had taught or what Jesus had taught his disciples. In other words, the command is not just to teach, not just to baptize, but also to take what you have learned and make sure that that is able to be lived out in the life of another. If we go back to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, how were God's commands to be implemented? Well, it was in the home. Now, I have to say for myself personally, personal ministry is very, very difficult. I don't do very well at personal ministry. And so when I look at the book of Deuteronomy, I am convicted to the quick. It's a lot easier for me to travel to Africa and teach there than it is to reach out to my next-door neighbor. It's a lot easier for me to come to church and teach a Sunday school or a children's church than it is for me to gather my younger family members around and teach them the Bible. And I don't know if it's the same for you. Again, God calls us to different things. He gives us different gifts. And so what may be easy for one person may be very difficult for another. But God's model of ministry, and this is what's so convicting to me, is personal ministry. Now this can happen in the home. We see in the book of Deuteronomy that uh, God wants 
the parents, of course, to be teaching their children. But you may either not have children, or your children may have grown, or maybe uh, you're in, in a situation where you are more mostly alone. Just going to give you a few testimonies here. There's a, a lady I know near the hometown where my parents are living right now, and she lives alone out in the country, but uh, there was a boy who would come by her house, and he was just bored because his father was doing work and he didn't have anything else to do. And she noticed that this boy did not have any knowledge of Jesus. And so she just took him in, and while he was there, she would make it a point to read Bible stories to him and to teach him how to pray. And this little boy asked Jesus to save him. Again, personal ministry, and it's still going on today. There's another older lady I know, and she has since passed, but she noticed that her neighbor children, their, her parent, the, the children's parents were more interested in white powder and needles than they were in caring for their children, if you know what I mean. And uh, she noticed that the children were being neglected, and so whenever they were out, she would just bring them over and she would feed them food and teach them about Jesus. There's another older lady I know, and for years and years and years, she has had children come to her home every single week where she has a Bible club and teaches them about Jesus. Now, this is kind of the kind of stuff that all of us could do. If you want to go to extreme examples, <laughs> uh, in my family, my parents and my sister and her husband have entered the foster care system where they take... Uh, troubled children, sometimes uh, with very difficult circumstances and situations. They bring them into their home and they have discipled them. They've even uh, adopted uh, several of them. And I was able to be a part of that ministry when I was visiting my parents. And they would bring in a family of children. We might only have them for two or three weeks, but we'd bring them to church. We'd teach them the Bible. And it wasn't uncommon for those children to receive Christ in our home and to leave with a changed life. Now, God hasn't called everyone to fostering, but as I look at that kind of a ministry and the sacrifice, you know, I, I wish that there were more believers who would open their homes. Be very careful before you just jump into that, okay? But boy, if God could put that on your heart, what a ministry. But there are all kinds of ways that we can reach children, but I also just want to emphasize reaching the next generation means reaching out to teens, reaching out to college-age young people, reaching out to middle-aged young people. <laughs> it doesn't matter. I want us to just think about expanding our horizons in our personal ministries. What is God calling you to do to reach the next generation? Also, there is the church. I don't want to ignore the church. Church is a special place that is dedicated to teaching God's Word. And in Deuteronomy 31, there were dedicated moments where God wanted His people to gather together, and He wanted them to hear God's Word, and He wanted every generation to be a part of that mix. Now, I'm going to say this, and this again might offend some people, but it's very difficult for me to look in the Scripture and justify children's Sunday school and children's church where the children are taught separately from adults. Now, I can justify it, okay, but in God's model, it seems like when we see adults or people, I should say, congregations meeting 
for the teaching of God's word, all ages are present. Now, I'm saying this not to say that I want to get rid of children's church or Sunday school. I think those are very important. However, when there's children here listening to the teaching of God's word, that is so wonderful. Those children that are over there in those other classes, do you know what they need? They need adults to be in those classes with them. Learning with them, befriending them, working with them to learn and to grow. If we had a class with one child dedicated to teaching one child, I would not be discouraged to see five adults in that class learning and helping that child grow. You may not feel comfortable being a Sunday school teacher, but you can sit there and you can be a child's friend. Now, I'm saying that just to say church is important, children's classes are important, but the most important thing is that everyone is learning together. Okay? Now, the final question I have for you is, is it too late? We've seen those numbers going down. We see the troubles and the struggles that the generation to come is facing. So is it too late? Well, I had us open with Psalms chapter 78 for the reason. Let's look at Psalms chapter 78, and then we'll be finished. I'm going to start in verse 6. That the generation to come might know them. That's what we're talking about this morning, reaching the next generation. Even the children which should be born. But look at verse 8. And might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation. A generation that set not their heart aright and whose spirit was not steadfast to God. Listen to me. As long as God's word exists, it is not hopeless. As long as people still have access to God's word, it does not depend or matter what the previous, I shouldn't say it doesn't matter, it does matter, but it does not depend only on the previous generation. There is an opportunity that every single generation has to seize God's word new and fresh and rise up a new generation that is able to serve God and pursue Him with their whole heart. So, is it too late? Absolutely not. God's Word is still breathing. God's Word is still alive. God's Word is still being shared, and there can be hope for our next generation. I'm going to dial back to those monkeys again, okay? Now, those scientists, they tried to put the monkeys in the wild without giving them the generational feedback to survive in the wild. The monkeys didn't survive. The scientists saw this, they learned from that, and they knew that in order for the monkeys to survive, the scientists would have to step in and become parent monkeys and teach the new monkeys how to live in the wild. And so learning from their mistakes, they taught the next generation of monkeys how to survive in the wild a little better. They carefully crafted their environment and everything, and they sent those monkeys out, and the next group of monkeys did much, much better. Now, these are just monkeys. 
But when we look at God's Word and we look at our generation, the next generation to come, it's not too late. We can learn from our mistakes. If we will let God work in our hearts and expand our horizons, perhaps even transcending our own culture and our own generation a little bit, we can reach out to the next generation successfully. Why? It's because we have God's Word. Learn God's Word. Put it into practice in your own life. And then look for that personal ministry that you can have. It doesn't necessarily just need to be to four-year-olds, to the next generation, or even your current generation. But we need people who are willing to step up and spread God's Word so that the next generation will be able to take it and pass it on when we're long gone. I don't know how you all normally do your invitations. Maybe God's worked in your heart. I'm not going to have an instrument come and play. If you have a phone or a piece of paper, I would encourage you to get it out. I'm not going to call you forward because I want God to speak to your own heart. If you have a phone or a piece of paper, or if you don't, I just want you to just put this in your mind. Who is someone that you can reach out to to help push the knowledge of God to the next generation? It may be someone in your own home. It may be a next-door neighbor. It may be an opportunity to serve in this church. But I want you to just put down and write down one simple thing that you might be able to do to reach the next generation on a personal level. I want you to write this down so that you can pray about it and think about it. Maybe God hasn't put something on your heart. If he hasn't, don't bother writing anything down. That's okay. Or you can just remember it in your mind. But as I uh, learn to get to know you all, and uh, as we enter into ministry together, um, I'll appreciate your prayers for me, that I will be able to enter into that personal ministry, and I look forward to seeing how God uses all of us to reach the next generation. I'm going to close in prayer, and then if I could have an instrumentalist come so that the children's church knows that they can be dismissed. Dear Lord, Thank you so, so much for the truth of your word. I don't know why you love us or why you care so much for us, but I want to thank you that you do and that you are concerned with the next generation. And Lord, I ask that you would teach each one of us how to minister on a personal basis to those around us, using those gifts that you've given to us. Lord, I also just want to ask that you would bless your word as you promised you would, that as it's taught to the next generation, that they would rise up like never before and would seek you with a full heart. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all for coming this morning. You are dismissed.